With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast, your weekly Fulham therapy session. My name is Sammy James, and on tonight's episode, we're going to be dissecting Friday's game against QPR as Rangers keeper Alex Smithies threatened to snatch Rangers a point, but his Toblerone head, as Ian Holloway described it, fortunately didn't bring things to an unsavoury end for the Whites. Uh, we'll look back at the tasty West London derby, including Rui Fonte's failure to hit the sweet spot from 12 yards, plus react to Tuesday's delectable win against Nottingham Forest. Uh, and on the podcast tonight, joining me is a man whose favourite type of bar definitely isn't chocolate. It's Don Betts. Hello, hello. Uh, giving the podcast another twirl this week, it's Drew Heatley. Hello. And taking a time out from being Bleach Report's transfer man, it's Dean Jones. How you doing? I'm good. It's a big debut for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what did you describe it as the Pod Grebniak? Pod Grebniak debut, yeah. I mean, he scored his first touch, didn't he? So uh, when he says to make an instant impact. Well, exactly. His first shot, sorry, his first shot, can, not his first If start. you can have as good a start as uh, Pavel Progrebniak, then it'll be a very, very good evening If we can round. say it, it'll be a help, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would indeed. Um, so, uh, first of all, we must do some three-word reviews uh, from Friday night. Lowe's came in after the game. A 2-1 victory over QPR. Once again, no Jack, no Farrell, no Ben, so the secretary duties fall to Don Betts. What have you got for us? There's only one place to start, and that's from Robbie Citrick. Jack was steaming. Oh, yeah. I think anyone who bumped into Jack in the concourse in the lower at halftime could agree with that. He was very angry that QPR fans didn't clap off Shea Ojo. In the I mean, half, I saw that, infuriated. Yeah. <laughs> I, it took me it took me more to actually realise it was our player. I thought it was just QPR player <laughs> who was down. But another one is Joe Brighton with It's Happened Again. Ollie Bills with Limbs, Limbs, Limbs. And Brendan Massar with Cardiologists, Stop Watching. <sighs> Well, it was a very, very tense game on Friday night. Uh, first of all, before we discuss that QPR game, I've just got to say that Fulhamish this season is backed by Ladbrokes, and right now Fulhamish listeners can bet £5, get £20, deposit just a fiver, and Ladbrokes will add another 20 quid to your account. Uh, you can get this offer by following the link at bet.fulhamish.co.uk. So it was a fiery London derby. I think Fulham's superior quality uh, ultimately proved just the difference. It looked like it was going to be a comfortable end, but stoppage time uh, was a little bit bit touch and go to say the least uh, Slav was forced to drop Kamara due to an injury his state sustained against Forrest uh, in came Molo uh, and it was good to see him get an opportunity from the start made a bright impact on the game yeah you can see it pretty much uh, from minute one um, he gave a good ball to Ojo who should have hit it first time early on um, but you could see uh, the potential that he has and why I've been calling from the start in the first place uh, first big call of the game though was Jack Robinson clashing with uh, Shea Ojo through on goal referee gave nothing uh, when you look back at the replays it seems like a bit of a nuts decision I thought I could see it from the lower corner of Z6 which certainly isn't the greatest sight line uh, in world football and I thought it was pretty blatant yeah from where I was sat just just straight behind the goal in the lower I thought maybe Ojo went down quite easily just watching it then but then watching back on the replay when I got home I was like I wouldn't say it's a red card, but I would yeah. say it's at least a foul. I was exactly the same at the time. I just presumed Ojo had fallen over, but it on the replay, 
it was definitely a foul. And he comes straight across yeah, it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You, I mean, you can... I'm not Ojo's biggest fan so far, but on that occasion, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was fouled. Yeah, um, Dean, it was a it was a classic London derby. I think neither team really wanted to lose it in that first yeah. half. Quite cagey, and actually both sides struggling to find that little bit of quality in front of goal and I think Rangers most guilty of that because they did have some clear chances Jake Bidwell probably having one of the best ones yeah they had a lot of chances and a lot of the lot more of the ball anyway than I would have expected them to have we never seem to really calm down and sort of take control like you expect us to you know Fulham the, the one big thing is you're expecting especially at some stage of the first half to really dominate I didn't really feel comfortable at any stage because as soon as QPR were getting the ball back we looked vulnerable but um yeah, they missed some big chances and they were made to pay for them in the end. I think they don't get too many chances to get one over on us and they missed a big one there, I think. Yeah, we have a great record against QPR on the telly. In fact, one of the only games that wasn't televised in recent years is one of the only games we lost at the same game week last year, actually, when we lost that 2-1 game at Craven Cottage. And there felt parallels to that game. Now, QPR weren't quite as dominant as Fulham were uh, that afternoon, but certainly I think Fulham rode their luck a little bit during the game. Oh yeah, I certainly think so, but it sort of added, for me, added to the first half, it was a real blood and thunder, sort of back and forth, uh, really entertaining half of football, and although, as, as you said, it was sort of heart in the mouth type stuff, it was uh, it made for decent watching for the neutral, even though I'm obviously not. Uh, I did enjoy the, uh, the overall sort of ding-dong nature of it. And um, it was a man who hasn't got a goal yet for Fulham, who was very instrumental in putting Fulham 1-0 in front. Ryan Fredericks, lovely run, cutting in from the right-hand side. He's so good at that inside full-back run into the middle. And he was allowed a bit of space to have a shot by Jack Robinson. He then came down to close it and uh, cannons in off of him. Bit of luck that maybe Fulham didn't fully deserve but great play from Fredericks. He'll be gutted, though, he didn't get the goal. Yeah, for me, it looked like it was going straight in the top corner. <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean, I have seen a Fredericks goal, although it was in pre-season in a friendly in Germany. Oh, yes. And I just understand why he can't do that more. He cut inside and cut onto his left foot and then curled it into the far post. But yeah, Fredericks, I think, was one of our best players on Friday night, definitely. He's been suspect this season because people always argue his pace gets him out of a lot of situations. But I think... He was arguably our best player, minus Stephen Johansson, who will probably win man a match or probably has already. But yeah, I think it's, it was a great run by Fred. It's cutting inside and just hitting, hitting it with hope, really. And then, if you just, if, as I said, you don't hit them, nothing's going to happen. And it hits Jack Robinson, who I guess you could say a bit of justice for when he took out Ojo and it went into the back of the net. It was a bit of a contrast really for Ryan Fredericks from the corresponding game last season where actually he really struggled I remember uh, against QPR on that right hand side. Jake Bidwell kept him really quiet and he was really lost, I think he lost his temper and he got hauled off quite early because Slav was so worried about him getting a second yellow so I think it shows how far Ryan's come, I think that performance. It does and I actually really like him. I th- he's grown on me a lot. When he first came in, I wasn't totally convinced by him. And, and as time's gone on, I've I've seen some really good, real strengths to his game. And especially going forward, obviously, it's something we want to see from the fullback. He is a modern-day fullback, and he clearly prefers going forward than backwards. But um, it was nice to see him have a shot. That, that's true. And so many times you see Fulham not make the most of those opportunities. So to see him just take the shot on, sometimes you deserve your luck, and he got it. Exactly. And second half, uh, Slav changed the, the tactics slightly, brought a doy on for Molo. I was struggling to work out exactly what formation he was playing. He was obviously, though, going for a system that was looking to try and play 
QPR on the break because there was a lot of space whenever we got our foot on the ball. But actually, it seemed like we were relenting some of the possession and control in order to play that system in the second half. You mentioned before about the risk, high risk, high reward uh, for Slav. And so you can see he was trying to shuffle the deck there again. But we've mentioned it last week. If, uh, if we especially when Kamara out, we look a bit light uh, on the bench in terms of sort of attacking Guile. So when you're looking at the bench, there was only really Graham to to a sort of an attacking player to bring on. And he doesn't, he clearly quite doesn't rate him yet. Uh, and he's not playing him in any sort of uh, game. So I, I guess he just wanted to try and shuffle that deck a little bit. Yeah, I thought that Ryan Sessegnon to put making more of an attacking threat is always going to be helpful because I'm not I was I'm a really big fan of when he came on on the Forest game on Wednesday night. I think he pretty much changed the game. The link up between him and Sassanian was actually really really good, and I think he's the reason we actually beat Forest on Tuesday night. But yeah, I think it was it was a good idea coming into the second half. I think we played a lot lot better in the second half. We were creating a lot more sort of key chances in the game because I'd argue in the first half, although we had a couple of half chances, the main critical chances were created by Queens Park Rangers in that half of football. And in second half, we looked a lot lot better more to our sort of selves that we saw last season. And actually, before that substitution happened, uh, not only did Shea Ojo miss uh, a pretty decent opportunity, uh, who was it that lost him at the back post? Ba- Bautista yeah. uh, lost him at the back post and actually really should have done a little bit better. And then a few minutes later, um, seems to have picked up a really unfortunate injury. Uh, we believe it's a dislocated shoulder, which you imagine is going to keep him out for several weeks um, but hopefully not too much longer than that. I don't think anyone has been too enamoured with what Shea Ojo has achieved so far. I think there was a lot of promise when he came from Liverpool, but he's a young lad clearly just learning to get to grips with this level. So in a squad terms of Fulham, not a disaster, but it's a real shame for him personally because it's got to be one of the first times in his career where he's built up a run of games and then it's all ended so abruptly. Yeah, it's a strange one because... At the time he went down, it, for Fulham, it wasn't the end of the world because actually you, you wanted to see Cabano make an impact, which he did, and he, it just wasn't happening for him out there, was it? I'm not sure what it is with Ojo. I mean, like the chance at the far post, I didn't feel that he put everything into that. I felt like just throw yourself at that ball, you know. If, you've seen so many players through the years that would just just come through, clatter the defender, volley it, head it, whatever you've got to do to get there. And Ojo, I just never feel... He sort of felt like he was waiting for the ball to hit his foot. Yeah, And exactly. then go in. His foot was sort of quite dragged back. He wasn't just swinging It was a little bit like ball. a 10-year-old does when they're like a little bit still scared of the ball. And um, Would you, would you, would you almost though. prefer him to, to lever over the bar than just to kind of tamely like miss see, it? Yeah, I just want to see something from him. Like he cares, like, not that he, of course he cares, but you know what I mean? Like in, from a commitment level, I just want to yeah, see sure. him go through the ball, go through a player, do something just to really put everything into it. I don't feel like so far he's put everything onto the pitch. I feel that he's holding something back and I'm not sure why. He's he certainly got the intelligence. That's that's one thing you can say from him. He, he timed his run really well to, but he just didn't get on the end of that on the end of that one across the line which yeah. was you said he should have if you add that passion to that intelligence and it, and doesn't go down as easily as he does. We mentioned the uh, the foul earlier. I think one, the ref was trying to keep the game sort of flowing early doors, but it did look like he went down easily, and it happened one or two times, and I've seen it before from, from Shea as well. So if he can add that passion to the intelligence that he has, mm. he can have a play. I reckon he's brilliant in training, though. 
<laughs> he looks like one of those players who would actually be unbelievable in training. He's got all the technical ability and you don't have to have that, that physical side so much of it in training. When he's been keeping out a pretty impressive calibre of winger, I mean, Jordan Graham hasn't really got a sniff and Johan Molo's only been in and out the side a little bit. So Slav clearly sees something. Now, whilst we said at the start of the season, how many wingers have we got? Suddenly we've got two out in Ayite and Ojo. We don't really want too many more to get injured. Obviously, we might be... Uh, Having to recall a few. Then again, you've always got people like George Williams as well, like waiting in the wings. Yeah, I mean, I'm not annoyed that much that Shea Ojo got injured because he wouldn't be my starting choice winger. I'd, I'd rather have Cabano and Molo ahead of him in the team because I think Molo, as we saw in the game and as we saw when he came on against Forest, provides a lot more directness to our attack. He's just going to run straight at the opposition and want to create chances. I think Ojo's not wants to do too much, but he wants to sort of be and do something special. So I think it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world because it might give Cabano, and who I'm a massive fan of, as everyone knows, and Molo some more play time. Maybe even push your door to left back and maybe Session will get some more games at left wing. Exactly. So let's move on from that injury and then to a crazy final 10 minutes. Well, actually, 19 minutes uh, at Loftus Road as it ended up uh, being. Uh, first of all, uh, started off with the penalty uh, awarded after Joel Lynch brought down Niskin's Cabano. I actually thought the penalty looked a bit soft. If you'd have asked me which was the more clear-cut foul... Uh, Jack Robinson on Ojo in the first half or Lynch on Cabano, I would have definitely said the former. Um, but referee gave it. I wasn't complaining at the time. Rui Font stepped up and it's now four in three again, four in three games against Queen's Park Rangers. That's unbelievable. I mean, I agree. I, I actually don't think it was a penalty. I mean, it was because of, he managed to play it in a way that it probably did foul him, but it was soft. Um, and I think QPR feel hard done by there, but Cabano kind of played for that one, didn't he? Once he realised the chance had gone from in the box. Font's penalty, I'm still not really over it, to be honest. <laughs> what was he doing? He was over it. I mean, <laughs> well, he was right under it, because it went, I don't know whereabouts in the top tier that hit, but um, it was just not what I was expecting. At first, I thought he'd only had one step run-up. I mean, I think it might have been two, or maybe two and a it half. It certainly didn't push. look very long, though, it did it? It was nothing like... I know he's kind of like a more Berbatov-type player in the way that he looks very so casual. Yeah. yeah, very casual about the way he goes about things. Oh, I'll just tap this one in, this will be fine. But I didn't have any worries about that penalty. I thought, great, we're 2-0 up. And as it went over my head, <laughs> I didn't really know what to say. It, it, it's that sort of a languid nature like the Berbatov, as you mentioned, but Berbatov would have then placed that into the far corner, giving the keeper no chance. And it was just... It was too. You've got to hit the target from that distance. I know it's a cliche, but you can't. You can't excuse that, especially something as that that poor. And you know, I don't know really know how he's going to sort of. He's going to take another one, as Slav sort of indicated after the game. Um, but as far as whether it was a penalty or not, I think when you charge defenders like Cabano did and just are such a nuisance and a threat, you're going to draw fouls. And and although it wasn't necessarily sort of a real clear cut chance, I think when you're going to do that, you're going to draw those penalties. I actually thought it was for the Robinson challenge after. Lynch challenged him because, but then Cavano's really halfway on the floor by the time that challenge of Robinson yeah. goes in after because obviously Lynch got booked for just descent towards the linesman. But yeah, I didn't think it was a penalty at the time really, and I was surprised when we got it. As soon as we got it, I was like, well, we're not going to score. <laughs> it's a penalty against QPR, and then when Font hit it, it literally was like a sniper to my mate's head, to my mate's face. <laughs> if his mate in front didn't put his hand up, it would have just smacked him straight in the forehead. It kind of hit the like roof, like the ceiling of the upper tier in the lower tier, didn't it? It didn't quite make yeah, it as yeah. that top tier, which I guess uh, is a saving grace for Font that he, he kept out of row Z. Um, 
I thought it was quite a surprising choice to take the penalty, Rui Font. I guess we did pretty much exhaust all options last season in that penalty, including a fateful Tim Ream effort, I seem to remember. Um, but I had a little bit of research into this. Now, he did score five penalties in one season for Benfica B back in 2014 in the Segunda Division, but hasn't taken a successful penalty since then. He took one penalty for Braga uh, back in September 2015, so about two years almost to the date. Um, but he missed that one. Admittedly, it was a 5-1 win for Braga, so it didn't matter too much on the day. I just... I assumed it'd be Cabana because he scored one in pre-season. He scored the only goal in the he first did, game against P.S. Glavice, or however you say their name. And that was a terrible game. But he, he buried that penalty. So I assumed he was going to take it. There's off he won the penalty. But I mean, I can't argue against Font taking it. He is our number nine. And I've always been someone who assumed a striker should be the one taking the penalties because that's literally their forte of scoring goals. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he'll want that responsibility as well. He wants to be the man that we rely on for goals. That's why he's come in and he's supposed to kind of be that to be that man and um that he didn't show us that he's going to be taking one again did he but I just thought nor I personally thought Norwood was the was the obvious choice I thought he would just be someone that would be cool calm and collected and just slot it in the bottom corner which is a little bit of what we've lacked in the past season I mean is this going to be an issue again this whole penalty thing uh, I mean like it. Slav has Slav gave it the uh, the rose tinted specs with, by saying it's uh, it's only one penalty that we've missed this season so <laughs> I don't know whether that's translated poorly or whether he's taking the mick, but, uh, you know, it's one way to look at it. Statistics can, uh, can prove anything wrong. But, to be fair to Rui Font, he uh, didn't rue his chance for long. Uh, Sky Sports commentator really loved that pun uh, on Friday. Notice in the highlights. Brilliant run down the right. Um, showed just great, not even strength, but just kept, <laughs> showed very good composure uh, to keep at his feet. Lovely pass uh, for Johansson. And as that commentator I was just mentioning alluded to, if you give him that amount of time on his left peg, that's what's going to happen. It was a brilliant finish. Yeah, I mean, Nuri Font, that, that is what he's all about for me, and that's why I was so excited once I'd seen him play the first time. The composure, the ability that he's got, he's just a proper footballer, and that's what we've been lacking in that position um, last season. And the fact that he was able to put that penalty miss out of his mind so quickly and make amends for it in, in that fashion was really impressive. I just loved the way... He was able to steer it back and then obviously Johansson really just, he made it look so easy, didn't he? Just literally just passed it into the back of the net. I actually thought he was going to go for the other corner as well and I was right behind it. So I think the thought... goalkeeper was, that's why he was so flat-footed in yeah. the end Smithies because I think, because he just literally didn't move, he just watched it roll. He didn't like laser it into the bottom corner or anything, he simply just rolled it into the bottom corner. I think Smithies thought he was maybe going to try curl it for the top corner on the other side, but he just rolls it into the bottom corner. It was messy-like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Steph Joe was given man of the match um, by Sky. Did you think that was a worthy choice? It was in between, it was between him and Fredericks for me personally. Um, you can understand Johansson getting it. He, he scored the goal, so Fredericks yeah. was so good, uh, both from a sort of an attacking and a defending uh, perspective throughout the whole game, he, from first to last. But Steph Joe, it's so funny because we've given him quite a lot of criticism this season, and you don't want to try and sound like an expert after the fact, but. You know, we might look. He had a slow start last season. We might look back in six months' time and think, "Well, if that was slow, you know, because he's just such a fantastic player." You see some of the stuff he was doing against Forest as well. He just he just got such a great eye for a pass. He's just superb. And without you know trying to sound like we, I told you so. He, he is it's just so good. Norwood was great though. I thought he he really is making a mark on this team now and showing that we can actually rely on him and trust him at a time when we could really be struggling right now. Um, 
And it did look like we were going to, didn't it, a couple of weeks ago. But he's really stepped up, and I thought that that's the best I've seen him play anyway so far. I also think that with Norwood, it's meaning, because we haven't got Kearney, um, it's meaning that the rest of the team is having to step up to fill the creative void that is Kearney. And I don't think even Oliver Norwood would claim that he's got more creative guard than Kenny, but he's great at spreading the play, finding lots of players in the team. And actually, everyone now is starting to to step up to try and fill those Kenny boots, which are huge boots to fill, but you suddenly feel like this team is now starting to find a little bit of direction. It might be the realisation that he's not there, right? Like, at first they thought, oh, well, he'll be back next week. He'll be back next week. And suddenly they've all had to come to terms with the fact they don't know when he's coming back. So we've just got to get on with this. And I'm going to have to fill that role for potentially the next three weeks or whatever it was when they've gone into the role. And I think that was probably Norwood's position when he first came in. He thought, well, I've got Tom Kearney's shirt or whatever. I'm not going to be in the team beyond this week. And now he's suddenly had to fill in for a prolonged period and who knows how much longer. And he's actually really, really taken to the club. And I feel like he cares as well. You know, you don't get many players who come into a football club and so quickly you just feel like he's part of the team. And with Norwood, pretty much from the first game, I feel like he's been part of it. I really agree on your points with, with Norwood. And I think as well, it's, it's a time thing with Kearney as well, filling that gap. It's been, you know, 11 games now and Kearney's played, what, two or three? And, you know, you, you start, you're on the training pitch every day and eventually you've got so many players who can read the game so well. When we're, in our, when we're sort of in our groove, uh, we've got so many good readers of the game. And I think when you've got that six, seven game run without Kearney, it's st- starting to click and, and I think it will hopefully continue to do so. Well, the uh, the shocking moment of the match, uh, and there was plenty to choose from, but the most one has got to be when the uh, fourth official's board went up. And no, I, I, I can't remember being at a match with nine minutes added time. I was racking my brains like, surely, but I genuinely cannot remember nine. That, it was an amazing sound from the full of men when you saw the board went up and 3,000 people just shouting, nine! <laughs> like it was like the scores on Strictly Come Dancing or something. Um but once again, Fulham failing to keep a clean sheet. The, uh, the perfect cocktail of massive amount of added time and then a goal in the very first minute of it. Um, a Matt Smith knockdown and Connor Washington somehow prodding at home via a Ryan Fredericks deflection. Yeah. It, was, it was the perfect recipe for a horrible nine minutes. It was an awful nine minutes, wasn't it? Like I can't remember the last time I enjoyed a game as little as that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably actually was the Europa League final. I remember like the later stages of that game and you're just like, get this done, get this done, g- kick it as far away from the goal as you can. I can't, like there was t- times I literally couldn't look at the pitch. And um, yeah, I, I I was just resigned to the fact it was going to end 2-2, to be honest. Not, my biggest question at the time was, shall I leave so I don't see the scenes <laughs> in the QPR end once they score the I second? I was like, it's got a Matt Smith 2-2 right exactly. And yeah. then when he headed it past Button and then I think it was at Fredericks who created it off the line. I was like, thank God for that. I was like, I'm not letting Matt Smith equalise in the last ninth minute against us. Yeah. It seemed like slightly poor gameplay from us. We really allowed QPR to play the long balls to Matt Smith. I know it's not easy. I know when it's a derby and you're fighting in the last few minutes and you've played a few games in the week and you might be tired, but surely Fulham could have coped with that situation better, even once we'd conceded a goal. We were just playing so deep in extra time. We literally weren't getting outside the death. They're attacking third, really. Yeah. We cleared the ball and our players wouldn't go out much further. I don't remember really getting into their half at all in the extra time period. So I think it was just like, just, I was like, just get out. Don't play so deep. It's inviting on the pressure. And But all they were doing was he was launching the, launching the ball into Matt Smith. But I think 
we actually, although it was shaky, I didn't think we defended that badly in the 99th minute. It's just we were, ex- we just kept inviting on the pressure, and that's what was the most worrying thing about it. And I've never been, I think, more relieved when the final whistle went. We we couldn't get we couldn't keep sort of get that calmness back. Even when the ball went out of play and it came back in again, we we once again be back. It's that mental fragility. I think when the nine minutes came up on the board, if it was four, five, or six minutes, I don't think there would have been a problem. Nine minutes, we see it, and you mentioned, oh, we're convinced we're going to concede, and so was I. And if we are, they are, mm-hmm. and and that's what they're thinking. So that and then all they're thinking is right, nine minutes, let's not do it. Concede the first, right? Eight minutes not to concede one, and they're and they're probably thinking we're going to do it as well. Um, but I think one way to sort of try and break that spell of this this mental fragility in the last few minutes is to have an under siege uh, eight nine minutes like that and come out winning. And then yeah. luckily that's what we did. I still yeah. don't understand how Smithies has a free header in the box in the ninety seventh <laughs> oh, minute. I can't either. How can you? How, how can a goalie have a free header in from a corner? It's one of the most heart-stopping moments I've ever had at a football game. I just I saw it happening for miles off and no one was with him. And actually, it was hard to tell from the Fulham end how bad a header it was. Yeah. I was speaking to a QPR mate here earlier today and he's like, oh yeah, we knew as soon as it touched his head. I think I didn't know until it just um, hit the advertising board behind because I was adamant it was going straight. In. It was an awful moment as, as that cross came in and you just saw him getting closer and closer to him and the, as he rose, there was nobody near him. And I'm just waiting for the net to ripple. Obviously, from from the other end of the pitch, you can't tell the angles and yeah. how far it's, wide it's going to the goal. And there was a second where I thought it was just heading for the far corner of the net. And I, I cannot imagine what would have happened inside that stadium if Smithies would have scored and with basically the last touch of the game. They'd have been on the pitch. Well, it would. <laughs> they would have been on the pitch, and I'd have been running to the train station. It was a cup final after all, so you know you get the keepers up there. But Sammy, you mentioned when's the last time we had nine minutes injury time? I don't think it was the last time, but it was certainly a time when Niemi went down on his head against Watford New Year's Day 2007. Yes. And he was down for so much longer than Ojo, which is what made me think about it. I was thinking, how is it nine minutes? 30 seconds a sub. Uh, I don't think it was that. Uh, he was on. He was down for five or six yeah, max. That, max. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I looked it up and it was nine minutes injury time on that game as well. So I think the, the referee had made a bit of a mistake there. There was a couple of minutes. I think Cess also had a little bit of an injury and maybe you could argue that the goals took a bit of time. But yeah, nine minutes did seem... Surprise! I I I was genuinely a little bit gobsmacked. Uh, another one for the Statos, Drew. You might enjoy this one. I did ask on Twitter, trying to find if a goalkeeper has ever scored against Fulham, um, but no one seems to think that it's happened. Uh, a couple of people have mentioned goalkeepers scoring. Uh, Tony Lang scoring a penalty in an FA Cup third round replay around 1995, uh, mentioned a couple of times, and Jim Stannard. Uh, potentially scoring for us as well back in the day uh, yeah. but no goalkeeper against us which I guess is quite a good thing it's a very rare thing to happen I just thought it would be very excuse the term Fulhamish mm. uh, for at least one to have happened uh, a Paul Robinson or who was the one that scored for Carlisle oh Wayne something wasn't it yeah I do remember that one kept them up kept them in oh, Jimmy, the, kept, Glass. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Glass, Glass sorry, yeah, yeah. kept them in the league yes yeah, a long time ago that now that was um, that he, was scenes <laughs> he was on loan for about three games I think yeah. at the end of the season a little bit of a patchwork goalkeeper and uh, forever in folklore <laughs> well not so much in folklore because we couldn't remember his name <laughs> right uh, we've got plenty to discuss uh, about uh, the game against Nottingham Forest last Tuesday it's all coming up after this alright Sammy alright how do you feel about beer yeah I like a can or two how do you feel about free beer yeah, I like three cans as well. I like more than three cans, personally. Of course but you do. Here at Fulhamish Podcast, we have a deal for you, which gets you free beers with our friends over at beer52.com. 
please do tell more. So if you go to beer52.com and put in the code Fulham, you can either get eight free beers for £0 plus post and packaging or ten beers for £5 plus post and packaging. So basically, if you pay six quid, they deliver you loads of beers. That sounds pretty good. So you just pay for the delivery yeah, and you get free beers. Eight free beers. And does it support the podcast as well? My much-loved favourite podcast. Yeah, and we get benefits from beer52.com as well. Which means we can buy beer. Yeah, for ourselves and maybe even for you at the pub before a game. Good stuff. What's the code again? Fulham at beer52.com. One more time. Fulham at beer52.com. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James, still joined by Don Betts, Drew Heatley and Dean Jones. So we're just looking back at Friday's QPR game. Let's move on now to Nottingham Forest, which took place on Tuesday as we picked our first win at the City Ground in four seasons back at championship level. Uh, Dom, you were there on Tuesday night. It was a game that could have gone either way. And actually, had Forest won it, I don't think Fulham would have had too many complaints. Um, we spoke about Kamara, whether he would start in last week's podcast because of his performance against Middlesbrough, uh, and Slav heeded our advice once again. He did, yeah, and I thought I thought he played very well. Yeah, I voted him for man of match. I think he won it in the end, and no one really played that well. I think a few people said Johansson, apart from the free kick, he wasn't man of the match worthy in that game, but he he played okay. But yeah, Kamara was again very very good. And when we're playing that system away from home, I think. Kamara actually works very, very well running off the shoulder of the players because Font's going to want the ball coming into his feet. But if he's playing in behind uh, Kamara, and we've seen that he's actually a very good playmaking um, player, as he saw he set up Johansson's goal. And Kamara, when he scored the goal, I thought he just did something rubbish and he just got a load of space on the ball and he buried it. But he actually did some very, very good intricate footwork. And actually, it was a very, very, very good goal in the end. But yeah, we weren't the greatest that night, really. I was quite surprised we won 3-1. I think that was quite a flattering scoreline. I was quite annoyed with their goal because I was, how has Daryl Murphy got that much space on a free header inside the box from just a simple cross? It was very, very annoying. In the halftime, I was like, yeah, this is either going to finish 1-1 or 2-1 to them. But again, Johansson scored an absolute blinding free kick. And as, as, we, as we said, many, many times on podcasts, we haven't really seen us being threatening from set pieces, really, and it was nice to see a score one. And I think my mate in front of me was about to record the goal. I was like, why are you going to record it? It's never going to go in. And then, and then it just goes straight into the top corner. I was like, all right, you can have that. <laughs> well, by my reckoning, first direct free kick we scored since Chris Martin uh, away at Ipswich on Boxing Day last yes, season. I, I, may, so. I may be wrong on that. Um, back to Kamara, though. Yeah, very cool finish. And uh, not offside, as many people on social media thought at the time. It was actually, it was actually a very, very good decision from the linesman. Uh, and it's great to see him add more strings to his bow, like you mentioned the intricate footwork, Dom. And he loves... He loves to take an extra touch as well, which is sort of his heart in the mouth type stuff. But he's he's proving now that confidence is everything for a striker. And if he's uh, if he gets back in time for after the international break, I'm not sure how bad his knock is. Uh, I mean, we could see a different player than what we were seeing in the first sort of eight games. I don't know which what which Forest defender it was, but he left someone on the floor. Just taxi. <laughs> well, half the time he doesn't know what he's doing himself, so the defender's never going to have any idea which way he's going. Um, I'm I'm trying to give him a chance. I mean, I have to say, uh, I'm still not convinced that he's a, a Fulham player because technically I just don't feel like he's on the same wavelength as as the other players and that's the main problem for me. It's not that he's a bad footballer, it's just that he's 
not as doesn't seem as far along technically and in his mind as some of those other players around him and that's not his fault we've just got some a lot of players that play football a certain way and he's going to it's going to take time for him to get used to that and get on their wavelength um of course you you're pleased to see him score goals because um it's the one thing that makes him feel part of the team and feel that he can contribute something to it so you know he's got a couple now and um hopefully as you say once he's back fit again we can get behind him and um, not laugh at him so much. But with the final goal that Cabano scored, for some reason, until I got home, I was I assumed Molo didn't square it and just buried it in the back of the net. I don't know why I assumed he scored that. I think it's because he came over to Wish the way thinking. in. We came over to the way in first, so I assume he just scored the goal. Because everyone was standing up, I didn't exactly, wasn't probably watching, I just see it hit the back of the net. I was like, oh, Molo's just definitely scored that. I got back, I was like, oh... Cabano scored, but Molo when he came on, his link up with Sessegnon was phenomenal in that. That was the reason I think we won the we won the game in the last stage, of the second half, because Sessegnon and Molo were linking up really, really well. It wasn't just sort of playing around the ball. He was running straight at them, and I thought he was phenomenal in that game. And I I would start at the moment our wingers who are out would I think it should be Molo and Cabano our wingers at the moment. They seem the most direct, and I although we do play a possession based style of football we need players who are simply just going to go and attack the opponent because that's where we're going to score goals not just passing it around the midfield and trying to score the perfect goal as I guess you could say which I've also labelled Aite to do quite a lot He, as I say all the time he tries to do a Norwich away goal every single time yeah. it's, it's the evolution now of our side at the moment I feel like Molo and Cabano up top there with that more direct sort of approach I think that you're going to then have that lovely inter, inter sort of play between the midfield but then you've got that, that cutting edge and I, I really like seeing that and I hope that we see a lot more of it and I do hope that there are starting front two up the uh, wings as well it is great though having so many options on the wing and oppositions must be finding it quite hard to prepare for Fulham because they're thinking okay well there's one of about five players and then maybe even more when you include the fact that Ryan Sessegnon um, can play at left wing and with Rafa Suarez um, his return potentially imminent maybe after the international break it's got to be quite hard what who do you scout against exactly and actually people from an opposition point of view if you, you if you presume Ojo's going to play, you're going to think that that's Fulham's biggest threat, which is clearly not at the moment. And if they, they end up playing Molo and you're preparing for that, I mean, the chances like somebody like Ian Holloway knew much about Molo, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to you know, be too harsh on the man, but I would imagine he would be more afraid of playing against Ojo than he would against Molo and wouldn't be completely aware of what he brings to the team and what style of his football he's got. So I think that that's something else that really works to off advantage you know when we had a Luco you know people knew what you were getting from him and you know and I think he was a good player for us in terms of what he brought and he did scare defenders but Molo will bring something better long term I think. Um, Seven points from nine in the last three games of the season Uh, I said last week it was all about SOS save our September it definitely seems like Fulham (laughs) Fulham did that in a sense. Two away victories in a row and now top of the away league table unless I'm mistaken. Can we just not play at home? Can we just play away? Because <laughs> last, last, last season our away record was phenomenal. I think we were joint top with Newcastle. This season we're top at the moment and it just seems we... I think because teams will set up differently when they come to Craven Cottage and we just haven't seen Pierre find a way to counteract that. Even though we do get these late goals which we've seen through Sessegnon and Kamara in the last two games, it's, it's just I think... We just our team, as we said last season, is set up better to play away from home. And unfortunately, in October, we have only got one away game in Aston Villa, which we actually didn't win at last season. We lost one nil thanks to a David Button mistake, which just set up Codger to score an easy goal. But 
I think if we just find a way to counteract the way teams set up against us at Craven Cottage, it won't be as much of an issue. And I think we mentioned this in pre-season or when the fixtures got announced in June or July that it was a very, very tough first couple of months. We are playing a lot of the promotion contenders. We were playing Leeds. We were playing Sheffield Wednesday. We've played Reading. So I think we said if we were in and about the the playoffs and the top half of the table at the end of September, it'd be a successful start to the season. And obviously later on we'll get to how well we think we've done the season. But I don't think where we are on the table. I mean, I think we're down to 10th now, but we were 8th once we beat in QPR. So I think if we just continue our Ray record, which I think we will, and then just somehow just find a way to counteract teams at home, I think we won't have any issues uh, going for promotion this season. Okay, well, I'm going to do the quarter season review with you guys uh, in just a second. Um, first of all, though, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, would really appreciate um, if you're on Apple or using iTunes, uh, if you could leave us a little bit of a review on there. You may have known that the Apple Podcast Store uh, in the last couple of days has got a fresh leak of paint. Uh, it really helps uh, if you can leave us a review, uh, five stars preferably, uh, and a little written note as well uh, with giving your thoughts on the podcast really helps us uh, to boost the algorithm the unknown algorithm that is apple uh, and help other fulham fans find this podcast so you just go to itunes type in fulhamish leave a little review there uh, it's really easy to do and it really helps us along so if you enjoy the podcast i would really appreciate if you could do that uh, right let's do this quarter season review so we're pretty much one slash four of the way through the season uh, with a two-week break now to reflect on the season's opening. It's not quite a quarter, but you don't actually have the quarter with the way it falls. Anyway, boring maths. Um, I would like you, though, to grade Fulham's start to the season, so kind of get in your invigilator mode uh, from A to E. We're not None of this GCSE nonsense where we uh, now grade things one to nine uh, in this country if you're taking a GCSE and no one really understands why. Let's go old-fashioned. A to E, you can put in minus, you can put in plus. Uh, and a brief explanation as to why you've chosen that grade. Uh, I've got loads of yours to read out uh, that you sent through on Twitter in a moment. But Drew, I'm going to start with you, teacher Drew, Mr. Heatley. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Um, what's your grade? Uh, okay, so I've gone for a C plus. Um, I think we're very much uh, still in touch. Obviously, three points off the playoffs, seven off the top, uh, and I think we're starting to sort of glance at the table now. We mentioned before you, you take a while, but I think a quarter is about the right amount of time. Um, you'd be tempted to raise it to a B after this week. It's been really, it's been really quite positive, but I think there's a few things we need to work on. Our mental fragility being the chief uh, culprit for for me personally. Um, I think we need to also decide how we want to get the best out of Font going forward. I think he's, uh, I really rate him, um, but we're talking about, you know, is he a number nine what, or is he not? What are we going to do with him? How are we going to get the best out of him? How will he fit in when Kearney returns? Things like this uh, just need to be ironed out. But I think uh, uh, Don mentioned we've got some, we've had some really hard sides in the first uh, 11 games. Um, so I think credit needs to be given to us there. Um, October isn't any easier. All teams are ahead of us. And while that presents a challenge, particularly Villa away, it gives us uh, a, a real good opportunity to overhaul the teams ahead of us and really sort of cement ourselves in, the, in that top six if we can have a really positive month. So... Um, so C plus solid, but could do better. Okay, it's like parents' evening. We're moving from Mr. Heatley onto Mr. Jones. <laughs> uh, what, what what grade would you give uh, the quarter season review? Yeah, I was going to go C plus as well, but I'll go B minus uh, just to be different. Um, I think the way that you you judge Fulham um, as a teacher is <laughs> <laughs> you, you look at their potential and what you know they're capable of, and 
knowing that you know that this side haven't fulfilled their potential and but they have shown flashes of it and after a tough start to the year they are starting to get back to um you know they're on their best behavior and getting back to how they should be um i love i love that you mentioned behavior in there as well (laughs) the last two games have, have certainly seen us turn a corner in terms of um the right mental toughness and showing that we're we're up for this um because that's the question for me I know that Fulham are capable of playing great football. I know that we'll outplay most teams. But when things get tough and, and you've got some qu- uh, questions to answer, what's your resilience like? That's what's going to decide whether we go up this season. Um, and we're starting to show that. So I think B, B- minus, um, there's room for improvement, but a decent start. And um, a couple of, have you got any standout players that you would you would maybe, if you had to give uh, an extra star for attainment or something to, to a couple of the players in the team. Who who do you think at the quarter season mark could be most pleased with their efforts so far? Hmm. Difficult. Again, I don't think anyone's really fulfilled their potential. Anyone can chip in on this. By yeah, the way. I mean, McDonald for me is somebody that I've really liked in this Fulham team just because I actually I like the fact every week you know what you're going to get from him. I don't can't remember too many bad games I've seen from him at any point. Um, so McDonald, I'd say, is one of my star pupils in the team. Um, <laughs> that was <laughs> purely was because purely because you know he very rarely lets you down. Because I would potentially say David Button. Yeah, I, I was going to say you can been... get most improved. Yeah, yeah. Glass. Uh, he's been. I wouldn't say he's been phenomenal, but he's been a lot better than we expected from him. I guess you could say because I said the position I'd want to sign the most would be a goalkeeper going into pre-season. But I think. If you look at the second half of last season, just up to before the Derby game, he actually had a very good second half of the season. One game that sticks out is Bristol City away when we were phenomenal in that game. I think it was 2-0 in the end. Wonderful team goal that Lucas Piazon scored and then Kenny with a wonderful finish across the keeper. But yeah, he's been very good. His distribution's been a lot, lot better this season. He has The ball doesn't always end up for, for an opposition throw-in. So I think <laughs> he gets most improved. If I was going to grade... The season so far, I think I'd just go with a plain C because although we have got two wins out of the last two or or seven points out of the last nine, I haven't seen us perform well, like which I know we can, apart from Ipswich away. And you can argue that was probably because that's the only team we've been able to play our best team on paper, apart from maybe Rafa, Rafa Soares or Suarez, however you say his name, coming in at left back. But I think, yes, yeah, C, I think we should have more points than we do at the moment. And I don't think we've played to our full potential apart from one game. You can maybe argue the whole game, but I don't think we were that good in that game. I think it was more they were poor. But yeah, I'll go over C because I think it's we've been okay. We've been average. We've been middle of the class, basically. And I think we had the potential to become an A A star by the end of by the end of the season. Even despite the fact that actually points wise we're in quite yeah, a healthy wise, position. We're points wise we're better than we were last season. I think it's yeah, three, three points. Three more. points better. That's because our barren September run last season. Mm. But we can say how how good our August was as well last season. Exactly. And I think when we had that good August last year, I was like, well, we're just going to fall off now. And that's what I thought happened in September. We're going to finish about 14th in the table. But I think, yeah, I think we've played not necessarily better than last the last two months last season, but we just seem to be able to not grind out results, but just score more goals when we're not playing as well. Because in September last season, we just created so many chances and couldn't put them away. But we've, we've actually scored pl- plenty of goals this September, really. So I don't see any reason why we can't become a top-of-the-class potential. 
A um, couple of players to potentially come back after the international break. Now, we all know that um, TC, although Slav has mentioned a potential Preston return, I personally think it's unlikely from the rumours that have been circulating around the club. I'd be very surprised to see him on the team sheet uh, back at Craven Cottage. But uh, you'd imagine that Abubakar Kamara uh, will be back in the side. And the one I guess that people will be most excited about is Rafa Schwarz. Now he played in the under-23s against Blackburn. I think it was a bit of a thumping 4-0 loss, wasn't it? I think we did. Yeah, it was a loss. Yeah, um, but he. I guess whatever. Despite the score, obviously that was a little bit concerning. But good to see him back in the side. Um, so could potentially give us that different option at left back, which may free up Cess to go a bit further forwards. So that could be a, another boost to the armor. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Cess uh, when this happens, because we, we mentioned we a couple of winger injuries, um, but. Cess this year, I was going to mention him earlier. He, he's he's put a bit of weight on. You can see that, uh, and he's but he's grappling with that sort of physicality of. Uh, he's been great at left back, but he's grappling with that sort of physical aspect. He's 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 put a little bit of timber on, not not a great deal, but uh, he, you can see that he's sort of when he's jostling for the ball, he's not as controlled yet as somebody who might be a bit older. Uh, and obviously, the way we play anyway, he's always up in the, in and amongst it in the final third. So I, I do think that he will be pushed up a bit further, like like what he is for England. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens then because it, it is a role where he's he's going to flourish. We know that. Um, but it, I'm very careful to say that while sort of tipping my hat to the fact that I think he's been adept at left back this season. Yeah, I think that Sessegnon, it's funny, I saw at the weekend he was linked with a £50 million Move to Tottenham. Um, Fulham be doing cartwheels if, if they get fifty million pounds for Ryan Sessegnon. Um, I think that to be honest, they'd take anything over thirty. And at the end of this season, we'll have a decision to make. I think over him. But um, as it stands, you know, he's he's at the right place as far as he's concerned for um, for him. And I just think that when you when you're looking at the team now and coming back after the Chelsea break, you just got to presume that Kenny's not going to be there because I, from what I'm hearing, it's unlikely. Um, nobody's counting on it by, you know, any stretch. Um, it's literally a case of best case scenario, and that's that this problem literally just goes away, <laughs> which <laughs> it doesn't often happen that you just rest something and it just eases. I think the problem is they they really don't seem to know too much about what the injury is, and frustrating for Kearney. Um, and then, but then once he is back, he's not going to be fit, is he? So it's one thing having. No, no pain there, but how long is he going to be, be until he's match fit? Because even when we have seen him this season, you can clearly see he's not match fit. No matter how much pain he's got there, he hasn't had a proper pre-season. He hasn't had all these things. So I think Fulham just have to presume that for the time being, they're, they're without Tom Kearney um, and just carry on in that, in that right frame of mind. And then once he comes back, I mean... That's the game changer then for the second half of the season. But like a new signing, it, absolutely. And I think that if if you can get get to Christmas, get to New Year, and still be in and around the playoffs, and then suddenly Kearney's there and he's fully fit, then I think that that's a massive, massive game changer and literally defines your season going into that running. Yeah, what I've seen in the last week while Kearney's out, I would play from behind Kamara because I think although Johansson has played a lot better than he has at the start of the season because he, I was calling for him to be dropped last week. Which I don't think was too harsh on him. I don't think he's been that good this season at all, really. He, as I said, he provides the work rate, but he hasn't provided the performances. This this week, he's played a lot better, especially on Friday night. Tuesday night, I think the free kick sort of made his performance look better than it actually was. But 
yeah, I think Font's the best one to play in the number 10 position at the moment because obviously our, our replacement number 10 was Piers on, but he got injured. So we didn't have any. And Font's, for me, shown the most promise in that position. And then Kamara can run in behind the defence. And I would play, once he's fit, Rafa at left back and then put Sess up to left mid because... As we saw, Cesar's best performances last season are oh, when he's playing left mid. Obviously, everyone will pinpoint Newcastle away, and he was simply phenomenal in that game. And we had Cabano playing striker in that game. Why do you think they play him at left back? I can't actually work out why we're continuing him to play him at left back when it's not really necessary. I think I, I can only see the reason is Slav presumes he he plays better there than Adoy does. Mm. At the moment, he's, he's the only option we've really got there. That's the only th- thing I can really see because I think at left mid, I. I would actually rather have him than Ayite at left mid because I think Ayite, although he's very, very technical, as I said, or a lot, he just tries to do too much. I think, and I think Sess is always trying to not necessarily score, but he's also looking to try set up chances. We've seen his crossing and delivery has been a lot better this season when he's overlapped on the on the left wing. So I would start him and either Molo or Cabano on the right with a Kamara and then front him behind until Kearney gets back. And I think. Again, last season, as we said, we had that phenomenal run through the end of the season. And if we get Kearney back fully fit by Christmas, we can do the same thing. And if we're in a better position than we were last season, let's say we're already in the top six by this point, we can make a push for the top two. Okay. well, before we get on to some of the questions with Dom in a sec, just quickly time to read out some of your tweets. I asked you to grade the season with a quarter of it gone. Uh, Shout out Ross McSweeney's giving it a C. Says, uh, we've done what we needed to move on to get us to bigger and better things, giving us a platform not excelled or reached our potential. Thank you, Ross. Uh, Elliot has said, uh, if A-plus is promotion, in brackets, which it ought to be, then B-minus, I'd say. Not far off the full marks, but still silly little errors holding us back. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, Matthew Patterson, B, says tons of potential, but also wasted chances. And finally, a uh, big shout out to Nick Wortham. Hope you pronounce your name right. Probably like a B-minus slash C-plus. Uh, they have been moments of brilliance and moments of complete mediocrity mid-table middling grade okay well thank you very much and don't forget you can always get in touch at Fulhamish Pod right Don Betts let's have some questions please let me get these questions out shall I uh, you've kept hold of the post bag this week Jack didn't, Jack didn't take it back off you he did not take it back um, the first two questions are from Fulham Thoughts and Slavisa's mate or Luke which are both sort of Sort of the same question. Uh, Fulham Thought said, if possible, how would you fit AK-47 font and TC in a starting 11? I don't think that's literally possible because one of them has played number 10 and one of them has played number 9. And then another one from Slavisa's mate or Luke was, is font still a best option at striker? Yeah, he's fine as a backup. As a backup player, I don't have a problem with him. And, you know, and you know, I just, I just think that... It, <laughs> Technically, you can't compare him with Font. Like they're completely different footballers, <laughs> sure. and one is technically, as a footballer, much much better. But that doesn't mean that Kamara, as a forward, can't give you something. You know, think of Barry Hales, what he used to be like. If Kamara does remind me of him in a way. You know, just used to bundle his way through, and he would score goals, and most of them weren't pretty. But you know, he had a, he was successful in doing it. Can't, yeah. can't wait for Kamara's uh, hat trick at White Lane. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Font's been doing well for me so far, but I think we could see a, re- a very different player when he's uh, when he's playing with Kenny. I think we. Well, could... we saw that Ipswich really. Yeah, exactly. Ipswich away, we saw when yeah. him and Kenny link up together, they're brilliant because Kenny can par- play that ball, which none of the rest of our midfield really can from the number ten position to fit Font in behind. We know he's a great finisher. That goal he scored against Ipswich was, I don't know how he really scored it. Really, I remember being in the away, and I was like. I thought he hit the side netting for about the first five yeah. or ten seconds. I was like, 
Yeah, how has he scored that? <laughs> so he, it clearly works with the partnership between Kearney and Fon. I think that's the only game we've really seen this season out of Kearney's few games where he's really been back to his last season's performances. Yeah. So, and if yeah, that's one of their first games together, what an exciting prospect. Yeah, I mean, if you really wanted to fit as Fulham Forsyth had a fit AK-47, Font and TC in starting 11. The only formation I can think of is it's a 3-5-2 with, with Kearney in behind two strikers. I do wonder at some point if we'll do that this season, I have to say, because in terms of fullbacks, yeah, we've got, we've got you, the fullbacks. You, uh, you could have Sess and Fredericks at the wingbacks and then have uh, McDonald and either Cissé or Norwood or Johansson holding. But yeah. we saw when we went to a three three-back last season, it just didn't work yeah. because McDonald had to cover so much space with Fredericks and Session going forward as well. So, but I think yeah, you can't really start all three, and I do think Font's our best striking option. So another question who actually asked quite a lot of questions at the top of the time is Pure Power or oh, Alex. Yeah. Does Steph Joe's goal scoring form excuse him from his often subpar performances this season? Is he still ahead of Norwood in the pecking order? Um, it, it, I don't think Steph Joe's been at his brilliant best, but I still think when you've seen the last two games, yes. Um, I think the Nottingham Forest goal that he scored did flatter his performance somewhat. But when you've got a player that's capable of that match-winning kind of moment, I just think you're at loathe to leave out a player like that. I genuinely think that Johansson and Norwood play slightly different roles within our team. Personally, I would like to try and find a way that keeps them both in the team and having just the one up top, and that's, that's Font, and then with the kind of triangle of Norwood, Johansson and Kevin McDonald. I think, yes, Steph hasn't been at his best, but you've seen in the last I two think games. that's because he hasn't been playing in his natural position most of the season, really. He's been mm-hmm. trying to cover Kearney's role, but he's still, being himself, use, has that work rate to want to get back. So I think he's just been trying to adapt to a new position. I, as I said, he hasn't been at his best this season. Maybe the positional thing is the, is the reason why, but... I wouldn't say you, he should be dropped. He should be he should be dropped. It always ahead of Norwood in the pecking order because although yes, these goals like make his performance look better than they are, they're still goals. And you, as we saw last season, we were getting goals from everywhere. We had two midfielders with ten plus goals last season. And how many teams, not in, just in the championship, but many leagues actually have that apart from like the top top tier elite level tier teams in the Champions League. Definitely. And, and David mentioned last week how uh, Steph Joe's under more pressure when TC's not around, but. Couple that with the fact that we hold him. I feel like we hold him to such a high standard. I don't. I think TC is the only player that we did, we hold to a similar sort of standard of how we expect him to play. And I think that uh, we can uh, just keep him in the side. The goal, he's still scoring. He's still showing moments of of just pure class. Some of his balls is just uh, just amaze me. So I say that we can. And as you mentioned, we can play them both. And yeah. I think uh, we will we'll be looking back in sort of three or four months' time at Steph Jones, thinking uh, is it, you know maybe another slow start by by the standards we're holding him to, but he's still. Well, he still got three goals in September. Sure. Yeah. He sees things that no no other player does as well. You know, you talk about the the gap at the near post he saw against QPR to just slot it in there, even to score that free kick against Nottingham Forest. You know, that that is the kind of Kearney factor that we're missing and talk about player making a difference from midfield. So if you haven't got your hands on doing that, then you're taking away the, that creativity and the chance that something magic could happen at any minute. You know, I know that it yeah, it does cover up the fact that his all-round game isn't great, but ultimately you want players in there that are going to win you games, and that's what he's done on both occasions. Yeah, next we have BC Brown asking, can you recall the last time Fulham scored from a corner, and why do we struggle so badly on set pieces, minus obviously Johansson's goal against Forest? I, I don't think there's many teams I can anymore that 
are actually that good at corners. And, and, unless you're West Brom. There's, yeah. there's I just really feel like else. it's an art that's gone in football. It's like, I, you see so many corners now. I remember someone having a discussion about England when Harry Kane was taking them. And um, I spoke to someone in the England camp about why was Harry Kane taking corners. He said, well, why not? He doesn't ever score from corners. Like, And I looked back and Harry Kane had only ever scored, I think, from one corner kick. He'd scored like a tap-in in a Europa League game or something. And then it got me thinking ever since then about how many goals are scored direct from corners. And it's not really a thing. Unless you come up with some sort of routine, Yeah, you are literally lumping it into an area and hoping that it falls to one of your players. Well, yeah, the only corners that really get all set pieces that get scored nowadays that aren't that are direct free kick are, what, are training routines of routines that's been trained and trained and trained in training, obviously, the week before. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think unless you're practising these routines, direct set pieces are the only really threat you have from yeah. set pieces. I mean, we're not very good at defending them, granted, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everyone else is. I've, I've read so many different studies that... Uh, why do we get so excited when the, when the ball goes out for a corner when such a low percentage of them are ever converted? Um, and sometimes... I'd, I'd quite like to see it sort of played short and then have a little couple of routines. I as, think you'd be better off, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. Fulham fans last season, whenever at Craven Cottage or even at away games, whenever we did a short corner, they'd be like throwing their arms out in the air complaining. I was like, <laughs> well, if we, take the, if we take the corner normally, we'll probably lose possession. Yeah. Keeping it short, if we do it quickly, retains possession and we can find someone who's on maybe the outside of the box who can whip a ball in. I mean, one example you could see was the trained routine of obviously... Kenny's wonder goal at Molyneux last season where no one was expecting on the outside of the box everyone was expecting Johansson to whip it into the box to maybe Callas or Reem and then Kenny just unleashes an yeah. absolute wonder goal so if they're done correctly they work but a lot of teams just hit, hit, hit into the box and hope I yeah. feel like there's been a change in attitude from Fulham fans because I seem to remember that whenever Fulham used to take a short corner you know, even maybe even 12 months ago you'd, you'd hear the, the same old mutters oh why are we taking it short and and quite a few times we took them short on Friday night and there's no there's no disgruntlement because maybe um, the majority of fans have woken up to the fact that well direct corners into the box aren't working so let's keep the ball yeah and that's how we play corner. football like you don't see us hammering balls into the box at any other time in a match so why why start lumping them in at, at that point at a stage when they've got eight players literally defending around the penalty spot? It makes no sense from our if it's point not, of view. If it's ninety first minute and you take a short oh, yeah, corner, I'm going to be a little bit... Yeah. Because what's the point? You might as well... Yeah, you want a QPR Smithies-type yeah. scenario opening up, yeah. Well, are we calling it then the direct corners of the last bastion of proper football men? Like, real, you know, real footballing teams now are going to play it short. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's one more question, which is from Will Leon. It's, I think we've all agreed that Slav is a great manager... But why do we feel he can't solve our concentration problems and close out more games? Okay, so I was thinking about this earlier when I saw it came up on Twitter, and we kind of mentioned, I, I touched on it earlier, but I think things like uh, it's experience, right? So it's those eight minutes we played at Loftus Road where we we're under siege and we all we came out the other end unscathed. It's when we uh, when we sort of take the game by the scruff of the neck in a moment of 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 you know decent play, and we get that last minute uh, goal to kill the game off, like Cabano, like Cabano at the uh, City Ground. So I really do think it's it's taking those situations and and just basically not effing it up. Well, as long as it's not at home, we're fine. Yeah, if it's away from home, we, sure. we'll, we'll shut it. We'll shut it out. We're fine. We're fine with doing that. But I think it's also not completely down to Slav. The players have to take some responsibility in this because although Slav sets them up and tells tells them I've to sit deep or go further forward, they still got to be able to defend. That's that's that's, yeah. that's simply how I put it. But I think yeah, as long as it's not at home, we're. We're fine. Yeah. Roy Hodgson used to really believe that 
he would he would do these long training sessions and they would be boring. You know, the players literally would move about five yards because they would just it would just all be positional, just be shifting the ball side to side, and he'd get players just be really really tough on them mentally and drain them for two hours in a training session, make sure they hated every second of it, and then right at the end he would really test them and, and he'd he'd throw them into scenarios where okay now you're defending your box, you're you're in injury time. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with this? And suddenly he'll bring over some of the youth kids, get them running at them, and kind of it's just a completely different test when they've been bored for two hours or hating every minute of it. And it's just like I think sometimes you just got to think outside the box a bit. I mean, I don't know how Slav has worked on it in training, but I think that sometimes just change the way that the players are thinking and and just make them you know, take them out of their comfort zone because that's exactly what happens at the end of matches and when our concentration seems to lapse. Um, but again, the experience is something that's also going to count for so much. And as I was leaving Loftus Road, that was the main thing that we, were, me and my friends were actually talking about. Like, we've done it. We've, we've come through a late siege and we've won a game. Like, that is a huge, huge th- thing for those defenders mentally. And I think there's just got to be a bit better decision-making. <laughs> Drew just got assaulted <laughs> by his microphone. Um that, the game against uh, Rangers on Friday, there was a moment where Ibrahim Cisse uh, was running towards the corner flag and he quite comfortably had possession. It was a couple of minutes after conceding. And I think he tried to cross it into the box. So no one was in the no one was in the penalty area. And he was just screaming at him to keep it in the corner. In the end, it's a duff cross that falls straight to the first man and they clear it straight up the pitch. And we're we're now got our defensive midfielder at the 18-yard line, and they've pumped it forward again to Matt Smith. And even against Middlesbrough, in that moment where we did concede that late equaliser, there was three or four individual errors. Sess playing them all on side, Callis and Ream going and heading the same ball, a terrible clearance um, from the terrible corner. So I think individual game-making's got to be better, and maybe that way that Dean just suggested that Roy Hodgson used to train the players will give the players a bit more scenario experience of okay we're under pressure I've got to make better decisions the only way you can get better is by practicing also if I was a defender I'd be terrified of making a mistake if Slav was my manager because I imagine that (laughs) after a game if he lets rip I can't imagine it's a nice place to be no it's probably not (laughs) um Good questions today. Yeah, uh, good questions, yeah. Feel free to always send in questions. It doesn't have to be on a Monday that you send in questions. You can always tweet us uh, at Fulhamish Pod and you can email pod at fulhamish.co.uk. So, Secretary Dom, uh, all your tasks are nearly done for today. You have just one remaining before the podcast ends and that is to name today's podcast. What are you going to go with? I think it's quite easy. I'm just going to go if, with It's Happened Again. Hey, very nice. You actually had one today. I was expecting. Yeah. I was fully expecting a five-minute well, deliberation. Because it was QPR, it was, it was quite easy. Yeah, nice very one. Happy. It's happened again. Well, there we go. Thank you so much for listening to today's Fulhamish podcast. Please share it uh, with any Fulham fans uh, that you believe will enjoy it. Um, not sure what's going on with the podcast situation next week because it's an international break. Keep your eyes peeled uh, to the Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Fulhamish Pod and we'll give you all the details, I'm sure, later in the week. Uh, all that remains to be said is to Drew Healy, thank you very much. Thank you. Dean Jones, on your debut, a fantastic debut, Pavel Pogrebniak-esque, thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers for having me. And Don Betts, thank you very much. It's all right, laters. See ya. Yeah.